today I wanted to talk with you about the love and the fear of the Lord. The love and the fear of the Lord. And oftentimes as we read through the Bible together, for those of you that have joined us in the Bible Reading Challenge, I want to encourage you, if you've skipped a few days or if you missed a week, don't try and catch up. Just jump back right in there where you, where you left off, right? Where we are at on the day of the week. All right. However, as, as I read through the scriptures as a minister, I oftentimes bump up against the fear of the Lord. And I oftentimes ask myself, does this include my theology? As I turn on K-Love, I'm thinking like, does the fear of the Lord, is it included in their theology? Uh, what do I do with the fear of the Lord? And why is it there? Why is the fear of the Lord there? Because it's everywhere in scriptures. As you read through the Bible, you go, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Like, what do we do with that? What is it? Why is it? And how can we get more of it if it's necessary? Like Han read Romans eleven twenty two. Behold, the kindness and the severity of God. Both are true. You know, oftentimes people just give you one of two options. They go, well, no, God is love. Well, He's also severe. He's also wrath. He's also the God of judgment. He's also the God who condemns. Well, God loves the sinner. He just hates the sin. Well, then why does He end up throwing the sinner in hell? <laughs> like, why does He just throw the sin in hell? We have a way of talking our way out of some of the things the Bible actually says. And as a Bible-believing church, we believe, as Scripture says, God takes His Word and puts it above Himself. There is nothing higher than the very Scriptures of God. God is ultimate. God is absolute. And then He takes what He says, and He puts it above Himself, and He says, I will do whatever I have to do with all the power that I have to accomplish what I said I would do. His promises are secure. So are His warnings. Because His Word is said above Himself. And as somebody who believes in the inerrancy and the sufficiency and the infallibility of the very Scriptures, I read right there that God is both kind and severe. We sometimes have to take these two extreme thoughts and we have to make sure that we believe both of them and not just one of them. Very often, people think that they can live as they want to because God is love. But don't forget, God is more than just love. In the Bible, you will find what we call paradox. Paradox is when you take two very extreme thoughts that almost seem contradictory, but yet they are one. For instance, God is both three and one, at the same time, Jesus is both God and man, fully God, fully man, both at the same time. When Paul was writing the scripture, both he and the Holy, Holy Spirit, God, were writing those scriptures. The Bible says that we are in this world Yet you are in Christ. Where is Christ? On the right hand of the Father. So yes, you are both 
in Christ and in the flesh, in this world, all at the same time. So when you read the Word of God, you have to understand that God speaks of things deeper than just oftentimes that our minds can wrap around. And here he says that he's both kind and severe. I ask myself, can I preach 1 Peter 2 verse 17? Honor all people, love the brethren, fear God. So, he tells us exactly how we ought to respond to everybody in this world. Honor everybody. Honor every person you know. Love the brothers and sisters in Christ and fear God. So I teach honor people. I teach love your brothers, but do I teach fear God? That's the question. How about Matthew 10, 28? Do not fear those who will kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him. So I look at myself and I say, Jacques, as a shepherd of God's flock, as a teacher of the Word, as a minister, do I even teach people to fear the Lord? And I think oftentimes what happens is we shy away from that subject because we don't understand it. We tend to do that, don't we? We tend to dismiss the very things we don't understand. How about 2 Corinthians 5.11? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Look at that verse quick. Why do you think so little evangelism is taking place in the world today? Why do you think churches and individuals, the body of Christ, aren't actively driven to evangelism? It, says, it tells us, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But if we don't know the fear of the Lord, we have no urgency a well-known yet misunderstood verse is Philippians 2 verse 12. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not, in, not as in my presence only, but also now much more in my absence, work out your salvation how? With fear and with trembling. So yeah, when it comes to the subject of salvation, it ought not to be a trivial issue. It ought not to be an issue that we decide what it means to be saved. It ought to be an issue where we say, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what I think. I don't care about any opinion or any denomination or what they have decided. I'm interested in what Scripture says about salvation because I come at this subject with fear and trembling. Somebody said, wait a minute, Jacques. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but He's given me a spirit of love power and a sound mind, I will not fear. So Douglas Stewart, in his commentary on Exodus, says very helpfully, and I quote, The fear of the Lord is enjoyed throughout Scripture, demanding that God's people stand always in awe of Him, appreciate His supremacy and His greatness, fear the consequences of disobeying His will, and not treat lightly any aspect of their covenant relationship that they have with Him, lest the consequences be severe and even fatal. 
attempts on the part of some in modern times to define fearing the Lord as merely respecting Him, respecting him is in fact a distortion uh, of this biblical evidence. So people have attempted to look at that subject of fearing the Lord and they've attempted to just redefine the term. As you know, all communication rests upon definition of terms, right? We can both talk about the love of God and interpret it in two very opposite de definitions. We can both be talking about the grace of God and define it in two very different ways. The one will define the grace of God as God's power to help you overcome sin. The other one will define grace as it doesn't matter that you sin, God will always forgive you. <laughs> For instance, people have redefined the love of God even though it doesn't talk about, it doesn't mention God's love is unconditional, uh, that message has, has really resonated through the body of Christ as if it's in the Bible. Yet it's not, the unconditional. But people will look at the love of God and they will define that as the forgiveness of God. Oh no, I'm forgiven. Why? Because God loves me. If you could be forgiven... Because of God's love, Christ would be unnecessary. Right? If God forgave you only because He loved you, there would be no cross. No, God so loved you, and in order to get you forgiven, He sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that there could be a cross, so that you could have faith in the cross, so that you could believe, and so that you could be forgiven because of your faith in the cross, you see. So people oftentimes just uh, very loosely define terms and come up with certain, certain doctrines. In the same way, the fear of the Lord, people look at it and they go, oh, the fear of the Lord is just I reverence God. But it's not really that. Otherwise, it would have said reverence. Jesus seems to commend the fear of the Lord in Matthew 10, 28. It says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Don't fear those people who can murder you. Rather, fear Him. So it's paralleling a certain kind of fear with the fear of the Lord. And He says, Don't fear, like, don't fear those, but rather fear Him alone. Rather fear him, it says, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That was what Jesus said about the fear of the Lord. Then the Apostle Paul said that a proper fear of the Lord motivates evangelism. I've read it already, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, because we understand God is a just God. Because of that, we persuade others, please consider this. Consider the cross. Consider Jesus. Run to your friends, run to your families and ask them the question, what are you going to do with your unresolved guilt? You know you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. What are we going to do? Like I said last week, the church is the only organization that exists based on people's corruption. <laughs> we know we need forgiveness. Hypocrites would say, oh, I don't, need, I don't need the church. I'm a good person. That's a hypocrite. The honest person says, I know me, <laughs> and I need forgiveness, and I need God. I need mercy. I need grace. I need Jesus to reconcile me to the Father. I cannot do it myself. 
That's the person that's not the hypocrite. And so here Paul says, because we know who God is, we persuade men to come to Christ. So we see Jesus talked about the importance of fearing God. Paul talked about the importance of fearing God. Here Peter told us about the fear of the Lord. In 1 Peter 2 verse 17 it says, Honor everyone, love the brother, fear God. Fear God. So the confusion comes from something the Apostle John said in his first epistle. It says in 1 John 4 18, There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect fear costs, uh, perfect love costs out fear. Let me read it again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love costs out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, my question here is Is John contradicting Jesus, Paul, and Peter? No. Most commentators see no contradiction in what has been said here because you have to actually read that portion of John in context. And to read something in context, oftentimes all you need to do is go to the portion before it, and when you read that portion before it, it'll explain what it's talking about. So let's go, instead of reading uh, only verse 18, let's go to the previous verse, verse 17 in 1 John 4. It says, by this, the love, by this is love perfected with us. And here it comes. So that, when, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So love is perfected in us so that we will have confidence that day we stand before God. That day you breathe your last and you throw your body suit off and you stand before God. You can stand before God filled with confidence. Filled with confidence because His love has been perfected in you. It's not just that you claimed that He loved you, but that His love has done a work in you. How does His love work in you? Let me explain it. For God so loved, or in this way loved, for God in this way loved that He sent Jesus. So if the work of Christ has had its way in you, the love of God has had His way in you. So here it says, By this is love perfected, that you may have confidence in that day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. So in this passage, fear is represented as the opposite of confidence on Judgment Day. Fear is the opposite of confidence. So John is saying that if you know the love of God through Christ, through the cross, then you can be confident on that day. You do not need to be terrified or being condemned to be sent to hell. So in other words, understand when he says perfect love costs out fear, he's saying that the perfect work of Christ on the cross costs out the fear that you would have experienced on the day of judgment if you rejected Christ. Let me say it again. For the person who rejects Christ and the person who does not put his faith in Christ, there's a tremendous amount of fear 
that person will face on the day of judgment? Yes or no? Absolutely. But if you allow the love of God's work, which is the cross, to have its way in you, you will stand at the same spot with no fear. Because you know there is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ. Romans 8 verse 1. All right, so don't, don't just uh, follow those guys that just keep on throwing the verse out. There's no, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. I'm going to be able to pay my bills at the end of the month because there's no fear in love. You know, th that girl's going to say yes to me. I, don't, I, I have no fear because <laughs> there's no fear in love. You know, I love her and there's no fear. Or, I don't know. I have heard so many different ways of using that verse. <laughs> You get pulled over by the cop, and the guy goes like, there's no fear in love, there's no fear, there's perfect love, I'm filled with the perfect love of God. I have no fear, I have no fear. Well, you shouldn't have broken the speed limit, right? <laughs> you can't just slap that verse on every one of your anxieties, right? The anxiety you ought to slap that verse onto is the anxiety of having to stand before God on Judgment Day. That's when that verse is about... All right? So there's a difference between being scared of God and having the fear of the Lord. I want to show you a few things here. In Exodus 20, verse 20, it says, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you. Relax. God is here to test you today. So let the fear of God be with you to keep you from sinning. It's an amazing thing. It almost sounds like he's, he's contradicting himself, right? He says, okay, don't be afraid. Let the fear of God deal with you. <laughs> and how does he deal with you? He keeps you from sinning. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. God has come to test you to make you sure or to make sure you have the fear of the Lord. So here we have God's purposes in the fear of the Lord. It says to hate evil, to walk away from sin. So, yeah, we shouldn't not teach this message in the church. This family is an absolute game changer. If you have two brothers, the one fears the Lord and the other one does not, guess which one is not going to walk away from evil? The one who does not fear God. Guess which one will not give himself to wickedness? The one who fears God. It's a game changer. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13 says it. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Why do you think people give themselves to evil the way they do? Because they have no fear of God. That's why. And in our culture... In this day, in this age, in this time, people really trivialize who God is. There are God jokes, <laughs> Jesus jokes. Uh, people will, people fear their bosses a lot more than they fear God. People fear the government a lot more than they fear God. People fear sickness a lot more than they fear God. And it's evident because that's the way people, by the way, people respond to all these situations in life. As a matter of fact, 
people have more social anxiety than what they fear God. People, are, people have a greater fear of public speaking than what they have the fear of God. <laughs> but we have to grow in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 16 verse 6b says, And by the fear of the Lord one keeps away from evil. That's why you keep away from evil. is because of how you view God. If you view him as inconsequential, why would you stay away from evil? If you view him as trivial, why would you make the right decisions when no one's looking? <laughs> right? <clears throat> so Moses was saying to the Israelites, don't be scared. God has come to deliver you from wickedness through the fear of the Lord. God has come to deliver you from your vices through the fear of the Lord. So don't be scared. It's going to be okay. Grow in the fear of God. And you'll see all these things that you, you simply don't want to give up because you love it, but you wish that you hate it. You follow what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I wish I hated my sin, but I love my sin so much I can't quit it. Don't worry. God's going to give you the fear of the Lord. And as you grow in it, you're going to start hating the very thing you loved. And you're going, to start being, you're going to start having the ability to walk away from the very things that held you and that bound you that you couldn't walk away from. You know, like, I'm, I'm done with that. I fear God. Here's a great example. In the Bible where jo Joseph, who's a type of Jesus, he was second in charge in the whole country. Potiphar trusted him, believed him. And handed over everything in his kingdom to Joseph. Joseph, being in the house, was alone with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar decided that she wanted to sleep with Joseph. She grabs him and she says, sleep with me. And he says to her, how can I do this thing? How can I do this thing against my Lord? Not Potiphar, but God. I don't even know if he thought about Potiphar right there. How can I do this against God? He feared God. It doesn't say that he went like, oh, yuck, not you. It wasn't her. It wasn't part of her. It was, it was how can I do this and fear God, uh, against, against my God whom I fear? So God will come and the fear of the Lord will grow in you. And when the fear of the Lord grows in you, it, the lion in you stands up. That lion in you that come, that destroys the sin stands up. You're able to start drawing lines with people. You're able to walk away from stuff. You're able to be hated. You're able to be laughed at. You, where would, the, so, where would the, the social anxiety be if you feared the Lord? It would be gone. So yes, the fear of the Lord delivers you from the fear of man. But most evidently, the fear of the Lord delivers you from sin in general. So the unbeliever and the believer both, they fear God, but they fear God in different ways. All right? 
So I have a list here for you. First is that while the unbeliever's fear of God causes torment, the fear of the Lord is a blessing to the believer. The fear of the Lord is there to bless you, to deliver you, to make you bold, to make you strong enough to walk away, to give you the courage to stay the course, remain faithful and committed. Proverbs 28, 14, it says, How blessed is the man who fears always. Oh, it's in the Bible. <laughs> How blessed is the man who fears always. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Show you something quick. Can you see that the fear of the Lord is the opposite of a hardened heart? See that? When I don't fear God, it is because my heart has been hardened. And the Bible tells us why our hearts are hardened. Sin is what hardens our hearts. If I continue in sin, my heart becomes cold towards God. And a month later, three months later, six months later, I'm wondering like, why don't I love God anymore? I used to love God. I just have no more feeling for God. It's because your conscience is violated over and over and over and over again. After a while, it becomes calloused. It becomes hard. Like when like you have certain calluses on your hand. Guess what? That's where you don't have feeling. And if you violate your heart over and over again, you know you're doing the wrong thing, but you don't care. You keep doing it. Your heart's going harder and more callous and more calloused. And eventually, you go like, where did my feeling go? I used to have a feeling for the Lord. <laughs> the Bible says... Watch out. Guard your hearts. Do not violate your conscience before the Lord. Because how blessed is the man who fears the Lord. How blessed is the man with a soft heart before God. Secondly, while the unbeliever's fear of God causes dread, ah, oh, day of judgment, Oh, what am I going to do? Uh, I don't, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not looking. That's why people are in, in, in such anxiety over getting sick and possibly passing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, look, you're going to live forever. And if, you, if you're in Christ, this is the only hell you will ever, ever experience. If you're not in Christ... Yes, much dread. This is the only heaven you will ever know. Yes, there's tremendous amount of dread for those who are not in Christ. I didn't say in a denomination. No, in Christ. There were no denominations in the book of Acts. <laughs> right? So to the believer, this is the only hell they will ever know. Pain, disappointment, regret. But when you, let, when you take off your body suit and you stand before God, it's a very different experience for the person, the unbeliever, who this world is the only heaven. It's the only joy they will ever know. So while the unbeliever's fear of God causes dread, the fear of the Lord is a source of delight to the believer. It's a delight. It says it in Nehemiah 
chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. It's a delight to reverence God, to be in awe of God, to be humbled before God. It's a delight to know that He is your Father and He is the one he is the one that will remove my sin as far as the east is from the west. It's a delight to glorify His name. It's a delight to make His name great. Number three, while the unbeliever's fear of God makes him cower and hide, the believer's fear of God signifies that he is cared for, it signifies that he is safe, and it signifies that he is secure. Look at Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. If you have fear of man, that's a trap. Let me say that again. If you have social anxiety, if you're scared of people, if you're scared of what people might think of you, say of you, do to you, the Bible is very clear, that family is a trap. You can't get out of a trap. You can't go where you're supposed to go, do what you're supposed to do. You're trapped. Because what if they don't like me? What if they're going to hurt my feelings? Oh, I'm not going to that church. I think I might just get offended. <laughs> For whatever reason... You can't do what God's called you to do because you're scared of people. That is a trap. You see, the amount of benefits and blessings that belong to the one who fears the Lord is inexhaustible. I mean, there's just so much that God wants to bring to you through the fear of the Lord. Psalm 25, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is with who? Those who fear Him. And he makes known to them his covenant. Proverbs 22, 4 says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord, in other words, the reward that you get for humbling yourself and fearing God, what is that reward? Riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 22, 4. Look at Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. However, there's a price to pay for not choosing to fear the Lord. In Proverbs 1, verse 26 through 29, it says, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your, when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. In other words, I will not answer their prayer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. All right. A couple of things there. God will laugh at their calamity. He will mock when dread comes to them. He will not answer their prayers. He will not hear them. And even though they diligently seek Him, He will make sure they will never find Him. 
And the reason is they did not choose to fear the Lord. All right, so we see that the fear of the Lord is something that you and I today have to say, God, I choose to fear you more and more every day. God, I choose to fear. The fear of the Lord is such a, in Scripture, by the way, in Scripture, I can tell you now, if you, if you read from cover to cover, the fear of the Lord is a major subject. And, and it's a total game changer. God actually delivers you by causing you to fear Him. Somebody said, well, is God a narcissist? Everything is always about Him. Like, <laughs> He's like, you must glorify my name. Well, there you go. You have to humble yourself before me. Well, there you go. I am the first and I am the last. Well, there you go. Don't lose your first love. There you go. He's like, oh, he wants to always be first. What's up with that? <laughs> he wants you to always view him as the greatest. I mean, pretty much narcissism, if you want to look at it that way, he says, he says, well, there shall be none other but me. You know. You go like, wow. And the world, the world, as a matter of fact, folks, next week when we talk about secular humanism, I don't want you to miss that. I want you to invite friends because I think that your experience in this world is very much determined by your understanding of the world. If you don't understand the world, your experience in this world couldn't be as productive, as fruitful, or as confident. But the world is turning on the Lord in a big way. Looking at God like He's mean, looking at God like He's cruel, looking at God like He's a child abuser, kills His own son, looking at God like He's a narcissist. But let me just tell you, God is perfectly holy. And when you see Him, you will be as He is. When you see him, you'll be as he is. Let me tell you, did you know that you become like the one you worship? Why do you think he's called you to worship him? He's delivering you. That's why. You benefit from that which you prioritize. Why do you think he's, called, he's told you to put him first? It's not for his sake. It's for mine. It's a complete wrong interpretation to see God in the light as the world does. Which narcissist will give himself, sacrifice himself completely? Leave all of his glory in heaven to come down and live in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. If I was God, I would have chosen... 2023, where there's air conditioning. <laughs> no, not him. No, he knew how much you needed him. He gave up all of his comfort, all of his glory. He came down to earth. Narcissist doesn't do that. He came not to be served, but to serve. Narcissists don't do that. Have you ever seen a narcissist wash other people's feet? No. Everything he has done and every command he has given you on worshiping Him, making Him the only one in your life, the only God you worship, making Him a pro. All of that is for your benefit, not His. 
And so here he says, because they did not choose to fear, they were not delivered. Their prayers weren't heard. They couldn't find God because they didn't choose to fear him. So what is the fear of the Lord? Here's a nutshell answer to this vast and limitless concept of the fear of the Lord. You see, the, to the believer, the new creature in Christ, the fear of the Lord means your perspective and your understanding of God is that He is powerful. As a matter of fact, He's all-powerful. That He is perfectly holy. That He's completely and thoroughly just. He must punish sin. He is ever-loving, gracious, and He's kind. He is supremely glorious. If you have found anything glorious, anything beautiful, anything powerful, it is not a fraction of what you're going to see when you see God in all His glory. But you see Him in such a powerful, majestic way. You see Him so thoroughly just, gracious and kind and so glorious that you would not dare run away from Him. You would not dare violate His standards. You would not dare misrepresenting who He is. You would shudder at the idea of being at odds with Him. This is the fear of the Lord. You will tremble at the idea of drifting further and further away. People drift from God because they are not choosing the fear of the Lord. And they are not choosing the fear of the Lord because they literally go to churches where they hear all about themselves instead of about who God is. Because if you understood His glory, you understood His majesty, you are reminded of His power, His omniscience, His aseity, all of the different attributes of God, His eternality. If you were constantly reminded of who God is and the attributes of God and His character and His standards are being revealed to you consistently, at that point, the fear of the Lord within you grows. But if you are constantly listening to Uh, I just need to hear something inspiring about like, yeah, my life, you know, I am worthy. I am valuable. I, am, I have meaning. And, and I, you know, if it's constantly about me, why would I be fearing the Lord more? No, I'd just be loving me more. <laughs> right? And I'd be thinking that me needs more stuff because somebody as valuable as I should have a more comfortable life than the one I have. I mean, look at Elon. Why can't I? You know? <laughs> I'm valuable too. And so what we do is we just become, we just whine all day long about everything. Because our lives aren't what they're supposed to be because we attend churches that just talk to us about us. And God's over here going like, woohoo! <laughs> I want to reveal who I am to you because when I do, it changes you. When you see who I am, it humbles you. When you see what I can do, it gives you more trust in me and more faith in me. When you understand who I am and you are being taught about me and I am being revealed to you consistently, your life changes. 
because you will fear him more and more. So the fear is of the Lord is understanding God in such a way that you would not dare run from him. You would not dare drift from him. You would not dare violate who he is, his standards, his character. You would not dare think that you could hide from him like Adam did. <laughs> he is so inviting and so promising, you would shudder and tremble at the idea of drifting from him. You see, the fear of the Lord is not a commandment to obey. The fear of the Lord is my attitude to who he is because he's been revealed to me. You know, in the Bible, uh, I, I <laughs> encourage you go and search anywhere in the Bible. You'll find any time somebody faces off with God, there are various, various responses, right? But it's never trivial. Falling on their faces. I mean, it's, it's a never a trivial response. I want to I close with this video, if that's okay. Short little video by R.C. on the fear of the Lord. Thank you. Question about the fear of the Lord. We are told again and again to fear the Lord in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. But in the New Testament, it is hardly ever mentioned. In Luke 1:74, Zechariah predicts we will serve him without fear. Should I fear the Lord now in light of all the mercy he has shown? Uh, Luther <clears throat> made the distinction in answering that same question centuries ago, that when the Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord, uh, it speaks not of <clears throat> the fear that a prisoner has who's being tortured uh, by his uh, uh, tormentor, or what Luther called a servile fear, but rather he speaks of a filial fear, the fear we have of failing to honor and glorify God. That uh, it's not that, that dreadful concept, but rather it's the sense of reverence and awe that you have to have, which is the beginning of wisdom. And that doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The fear of God is, the, although it's not without trembling. And uh, the New Testament does tell us that we, as we grow, we grow in fear and trembling uh, as we're working out our salvation. So that there's always that sense of awe and trembling before the magnificent glory uh, and majesty of God. Amen. To the single lady, Proverbs 31, 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The fear of the Lord and... The life of a single man, the Bible says in Genesis 13, 3, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. In Psalm 51, verse 4, because they didn't fear him. In Psalm 54, verse 51, verse 4, against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is wrong in your sight. And in Genesis 39, verse 9, there is no one greater in this house than I, jo uh, Joseph said, and he has withheld nothing from me, talking about 
Potiphar, because you are his wife, how then could I do such great evil and sin against God because of the fear of the Lord that he had? Then the fear of the Lord in marriage, it's interesting that it says in Ephesians 5 verse 21, 5 verse 21, before it starts saying, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and so forth, it says, and be subject to one another, husband and wife, be subject to one another, how? In the fear of the Lord. And finally, I just want to mention the fear of the Lord as a Bible student is also important. The way I come to Scripture, the way I approach the Word of God ought not to be trivial. I laugh how Steve, Stephen Lawson says, nobody's going to giggle into the narrow, through the narrow gate. Nobody is going to skip into the kingdom of God. <laughs> but when we come to God, when we come to His Word, we are coming to Him. He has taken His Word and He's put His Word above Himself. The highest authority is everything that He has already said. And when we come to His Word, we have to come in fear and trembling. When we work out our salvation, we do so in the fear of the Lord. So as a Bible student in, in Isaiah chapter six, six, 66, verse 2, it says, But to this one I will look. To this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. You cannot say that I tremble before God while trivializing the scriptures. It's not, it's not, you aren't trembling before God if you trivialize scriptures. He says, to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. See, the person who fears the Lord trembles at his word. There is no argument. The scripture says it, I'm done. Final authority has spoken. It's settled for me. There's no argument in me against Scripture because that's God's Word and He has placed it above Himself. There's no delayed obedience. I always tell my kids, delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. Say, hey, Robert, make your bed. I will, Dad. Two o'clock in the afternoon. Why is your bed not made? No, I said I'll make it. <laughs> no, no. Make it when I tell you to make it. <laughs> I love this mug. It says... A man will always do what he says he will do. You don't have to remind him every three years. <laughs> the person who fears the Lord doesn't delay responding to scriptures. There is an immediate honoring of scriptures. Let's pray. Father, today, I pray that you will cause us, Father, as we choose to fear you, you will allow your word to reveal who you are. And the more we see who you are, the greater fear and reverence and respect and gravitas we'll have for who you are. We don't trivialize you, Lord. We don't trivialize your word. We don't trivialize the cross. We don't trivialize what you've done. We don't trivialize what you are doing in the world today, in your kingdom, in your church, in your people, in your followers, those who are lovers of God. We don't trivialize your work. We don't trivialize your church. Because we fear you. 
we honor you. And we shudder at the idea of drifting from you. We shudder at the idea of misrepresenting you. We shudder at the idea of trying to have our way instead of your way. Today we honor you, Lord. Please forgive us. Forgive us, God, for not taking you serious. Forgive us, Father God, for not making you the priority of our lives. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. And now we turn to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. God bless you.